Let's talk about big tech. When we look around our world right now, what is the moral authority that governs in your life? Now, of course, this should be our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus, but we do see that there are big companies. Google, Twitter, and Facebook, they're not merely businesses out there that are trying to do business as usual, but they are attempting to set themselves up as alternative avenues of moral authority. They are really trying to be alternative moral authorities in our world. And you can see this, this is how they have conquered the public sphere. You know, whether we like it or not, the modern day and age where the internet is so prominently used in society, our communication goes through these avenues and they're wanting to select who is able to be there and also really shape how our minds operate with the world around us. So this really is a very dangerous set of events, and there currently really is nothing that is out there to restrain them. And of course, outside of biblical orthodoxy, there is no restraint of depravity. And we should be highly concerned with this. This is something which is a worldview and a theological issue that we should be talking about. Well, right now, what we see happening, U.S. Attorney General William Barr, or Bill Barr, he has an antitrust lawsuit in the works against Google, or Alphabet, and this is something that really does deserve our attention. So we're going to be talking about that. There's also some good news out there in the world right now. The U.S. Marshals, they rescued another 25 to 30 children here in Ohio, and this was under Operation Safety Net. Last night, or last week, we talked about Operation Not Forgotten, and there's a lot of bad news in the world, but it is good to see these U.S. Marshals out and doing this good work. But that is contrasted by some bad things going on in China that deserve our attention and some Christian persecution in the Middle East. So we're going to be talking about all of that and more and even talking in the end about um, our atmosphere right now and some heroes we would like to see emerge. So thank you for joining us. This is Kingdom of the Lagos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are two others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. And today, as we begin, we're going to be jumping into our conversation about Google here in a moment, but I want us to start with some good news, kind of building off of some things we've talked about the last few weeks. And this is the U.S. Marshals dealing with some real evils that are being afflicted against children. Um, so this last week, the U.S. Marshals, they rescued another 25 children. When I was putting this program together, they had officially said they had rescued 25 in Ohio. But then as we were finalizing things today, they had another breaking news event where they rescued two more girls and that puts them up close to 30 and they've just been working on this operation for 20 days so they're they're very efficient oh, wow. very effective in this so this is some really good news wouldn't y'all say yeah definitely um and i think i'm hoping uh and you know after we talked about that story last week i noticed a lot of other people were talking about that story and this is a good thing for us to, even as we go into talking about some of these big techs and how they're controlling people's perception or trying to alter people's perception of the world, it, it's good for us to focus on these good stories and to keep the momentum and the focus on this. And not that we don't, that we, it's not that we ignore the other things that are going around, but we have to be able to cipher through all this stuff and look at these stories. And if we keep the intention on it, then hopefully that will continue if the public is behind these movements, then hopefully they can continue and stay strong in doing that. Sure, absolutely. And what goes on with the U.S. Marshals, which they just were authorized to do this in 2015. I know last week we talked about how in the early 2000s there were some connections and things being made there with them as far as human trafficking and the trafficking of children. But really they were only authorized to do this sort of work in 2015, and they have a very high level of efficiency. I mean, they're, they're just enormously successful with this, so Good. more power to them. Well, let's get on to our big conversation for today. And let's talk a little bit about big tech. So word has it this week that Attorney General of the United States, Bill Barr, is bringing an antitrust lawsuit against Google. And now we're not here to talk really the technical and legalism of this because, again, principles, beliefs, core values, they run deeper than just do laws and technicalities. And so I want to open up this conversation on principle. So let me ask you this principled question. Do you want your life and society run by Facebook and Google? Regardless of the technicalities, which we will get into a little bit, do you want to exist in a society where the golden image of Facebook and Google are the golden image that people worship, where they, they interact with one another kind of in what has been socially deemed accessible by Google and Facebook? Is that the society that you want? Do you want these to be the people who are influencing public policy, the laws of the land, and generally the morality of the land? Is that the world you want? Because that's the world that we are increasingly getting. 
Because what Google and Facebook, and especially Twitter, are doing is not merely the work of private companies that are looking to solicit your business. You know, they have produced a, a massive infrastructure which has conquered the public sphere. And the sooner we realize this and acknowledge this, the sooner we'll be able to reasonably get through this and fight back against it. Because these companies, they have done something which has conquered the public sphere. And you cannot deny the fact that we are now in an age where the Internet, it dominates how we communicate with one another. Social media sites, they dominate how we socialize in this Internet-based world. Now, that doesn't mean that morality changes. A lot of times people will say, well, we've got new technology, things have changed, so the morality changes, right? No, the morality should not change. You know, God is infinite. He is, he is eternal. And what we find is that his morality, it stands true regardless of, of whether we're talking to one another over a phone or face-to-face. -face. That being said, as technology changes, people start to perceive that the morality should change, but it shouldn't. So what we have to realize is that Facebook, Google, Twitter, they're not simply being businesses who are trying to do business as usual, trying to corner a market or even set up a monopoly, duopoly or anything of the sort. But what they are really doing is trying to set up an alternative moral authority by which people are governed. And we cannot ignore that. You, you, we can't just look at this as something which is, is mild or to be brushed off. And we have to realize that there's really no way to challenge them right now. You can't just go out of your way and make an entrepreneurial alternative to them because you look at Google, they own things like Android, the Play Store there with your Android phones. Apple owns the Apple Store. These big tech industries and in particular companies, they own the way that you access the market. They own the gates. They are the gatekeepers of this stuff. So they can decide who gets in there and who doesn't. They own the search engines. They own how people access the internet. So of course they're going to weed out any competitors or people they don't like because they, they own both what is inside the gate and then the gates themselves. And we have to remember that without biblical orthodoxy, there really is no restraint. Facebook, Google, and Twitter, they're advocating for a lifestyle and worldview that indulges one's most immediate desires. And this, it shapes how we operate in the world. And this is, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing at all. And this is beyond just the idea of censorship or something like that, but it's also how we, we think and how we, we operate. A couple of years ago, dad, when he was first started pastoring at Trinity Church of the Nazarene, so this was about 10 years ago, he wanted to get on Amazon and order some urinal cakes. I know, not the most exciting thing <laughs> ever, but he didn't have an Amazon account and he wanted to order them on my Amazon account. And generally, myself and a lot of other people, when you buy something um, of that nature, you do it in like an incognito tab because you don't want to get marketed um, a billion times. Well, these urinal cakes were purchased just out in like broad daylight on Amazon and Amazon wore me out for years. They'd be like, hey, why don't you get a subscription of urinal cakes? Don't you want like 30 a month? And it was terrible. <laughs> like everywhere I'd go, I'd get these ads for urinal cakes and it's, it's terrible. Um, but in truth, people experience this all the time. You search for something once and you get a, just like an endless supply of, of marketing towards that. And that shapes how we interact with the world. Instead of being people who reason things out and we move past it, this morality that they're pushing, they won't let you move past stuff. It retains everything you ever thought you might consider and it pushes people and it desires you to go there. And this is beyond just basic consumerism because this also shapes how we interact with people. Just as the news media sites that you, you find or even physical media like a newspaper, they know that if it bleeds, it leads. These companies know that there is a level of, if people listen or they read hostile stuff, they're more likely to come back to it because that's kind of how people naturally are. This stuff is shaping how we interact with one another and it's very dubious. Hmm. And these companies, they need to be held accountable and there are already laws on the books which can do this, but there's a problem. You see, what we have right now is they're somewhere between being a publisher and a common carrier like a phone. And I want to point out, this is where we are going to step into technicality just for a bit, and we're going to have our discussion on this in a moment, so y'all just bear with me through this kind of overview monologue. Um, right now, when we look at politics, not an insignificant amount of political debate is people arguing about something which is already illegal and asserting that the solution is to make it more illegal, which of course is illogical. It's basically virtue signaling. But also, not an insignificant amount of political debate is people arguing that it's treasonous to do things which the U.S. Constitution actually gives our officials authority to do. And holding something like big tech accountable is an example of this. Um, there already are laws on the books that people have the power to adjudicate and deal with to hold these people accountable. And what they have done is they have set themselves up in a pocket where they get all the luxuries of being a common carrier. In other words, they, they're not held accountable. If somebody calls up 
somebody on a cell phone and says, well, I want to go kill so-and-so, you know, Verizon's not held accountable for that. Facebook has that freedom too, where people don't come after Facebook if something is criminally done on Facebook, but at the same time, they are editing and publishing. In other words, they say, well, we're going to promote this, we're going to cut this back, we're going to ban this, which the way the laws are set up in the United States, you're either a common carrier, in other words, you don't edit what material is published out there, you're like the cell phone company, if people want to plan a crime on the phone, they can. Verizon's not held accountable with that. But if Verizon did want to step in and say, we're going to edit stuff, well, then suddenly you can actually bring charges against Verizon if they permit something bad. They're, they're held liable because they're either negligible or they're choosing to let something there. But right now they get to act as if they are editors and publishers, but they're not held accountable as if they're editors and publishers. So they're, they're getting the best of both worlds, and the society is footing the bill on this because society is falling apart as a result of it. So they need to be held accountable. And the sooner we realize that we are in the middle of a culture war, a battle of beliefs, and this is one of the biggest battles, um, it's a strangely formed battle in the sense that it's not people out with swords going against one another, but this is something which needs to be dealt with. So um, this takes us to the point of idolatry. You know, we've lived in such a luxurious era where we think idolatry is something that we like too much, but that's not really what idolatry is. Idolatry is something which sets its up, itself up as a moral authority other than God in your life. And sometimes these are things we fo choose to follow, and other times these are things which are golden statues erected by Nebuchadnezzars that are out there in the world, and they say we have to bow down to it. Um, whatever is a moral authority other than God, that is an idol, and that's a, a big problem. So there's my little overview. Um, I think I've said enough on this. I've talked about it for like 11 minutes now, so let's, let's have some <laughs> other thoughts on this. Um, just open the floor up here in the studio. Well, you know, for me, I kind of go from it from a little different angle because I believe there is a responsibility on our behalf to set some self-control. But what they have capitalized on, uh, no pun intending, is the endorphins <laughs> that are turned loose on the things that we, we like. So, you know, I noticed my, myself, I had looked for a, a bumper for a truck, and, and all of a sudden I'm bombarded with all this stuff where I'm continuously looking at, at trucks and this, that, and the other, and the amount of time uh, that is involved with that for myself, I was like, I wasted, you know, a, a good portion of that day looking at something. And, and beyond that, I wasted a portion of my life. But I think uh, <laughs> tapping in on this consumerism and, and uh, you know, that is where the people are. So there's a there's an element of what I call hedonism, hedonism, however you want to say it, that they are literally picking up on what people are desiring and just bombarding them with that. And it can be an addiction. I really believe it can be. Mm. Yeah, oh, and definitely. to the point, I know there's always this temptation to say, you know, consumerism is bad and consumerism is the end game, which I'm not here at saying consumerism is good, but I'm just <laughs> saying that this is deeper than consumerism. Yeah, because this much is deeper. It, it goes to the point of how people emotionally navigate the world. Mm -hmm. And it's beyond just how you purchase things, but it's also how you communicate with people. It's how you negotiate with people. It's how you make friends. It's how you reconcile with your enemies. This is trying to redefine those networks to a very impulsive, and you kind of mentioned like the dopamine trip. It's trying to let really the most depraved parts of our existence it feeds those. It feeds them. Yeah. yeah. Pastor Amanda, your thoughts on all this? Well, I think something that, you know, as we're talking about some of the stuff, and it, it, it particularly social media is creating uh, sometimes false divisions. And without a doubt, there are divisions in our world. We, we live in a very divisive world. Um, and that is not has not originated within social media. Uh, but I think sometimes social media can fan the fire more than it, it really it, what than what reality actually is. Yeah. And the problem with this is usually when we come to the news, and we have to be very careful when we come to the news as well. But like if we watch a certain news channel, then we can pretty well predict their perceptive. Um, and even though they can definitely say their angle on a news report. There is still somewhat accountability, uh, depending on the person. You may want more accountability, you may want less, but there are some still standards. And I think to what Pastor Dylan is saying is, is Facebook and some of these other platforms are existing without any standards. And so they're selling themselves out as another news source, another source in which they can kind of warp people's sense of reality. And yet whatever 
limited uh, expectations are put on things like Fox or CNN or MSNBC or fill in blank here um, aren't even placed on things like Facebook and Twitter. And so they can kind of act as this force, um, again, that kind of warps our, our reality, that warps our way of interacting with people. Um, you know, I know friends who have gotten off Facebook and just Twitter because even though you can post some things on Twitter that is politically minded without a doubt, it it's generally not as political. There aren't news stories on Facebook versus on Facebook, you know, you scroll through your friend's posts and in between every two or three posts are advertisements or stories or news reports and things like that. Um, and, and so there is, I think people are recognizing it but it's almost weird. We recognize it, but we don't know how what to do with that. We're recognizing yeah. something was weird with Facebook. We recognize that it's creating false stories or it's editing out true stories or it's editing false stories or it's doing something weird. We know there's something weird and we make jokes that Mark Zuckerberg is really an alien or a robot, but we don't really know what to do with these systems yeah. to provide um, a more clear picture of the world we live in, a more honest reality. Um, and and I, I don't yeah I, I don't know what the answer is to all this but I think to Pastor Mike's point uh, starting with ourselves and creating discipline um, I know last year for Lent I gave up social media so I turned all the notifications off on my phone and even though after Lent I went back on social media um, I still never turned my notifications back on and I can tell you that is just huh. There's something like in me that gives me anxiety, like when you get the little number that pops up on an app and it's like, oh, I have to take care of this right now. And if it creates this false sense of urgency, it creates this dynamic where I can't live in the moment because I'm worried about something happening online. And again, there's not the there's nothing bad with being online or using those resources, but uh, and it's not accidental either. But these programs have know that you cre- that they're creating anxiety. They're living. They're hoping that they're creating anxiety. Uh, so that they can then control, um, th- this sounds very Bond villainous, like they want to control your mind and like we can get our tinfoil hats on and everything, but there is a reality behind this where they know what they're doing, they want to keep doing what they're doing because it's giving them power and money and influence. And we have to recognize that and then in response, um, we, we have to then create those discipline for ourselves because the truth is, just like we shouldn't give up our, our morality to Facebook and Twitter and Google, we shouldn't give, uh, the government will never do what it says it's going to do. So we shouldn't expect them to control social media either. Although there is a responsibility given to them that they need to do something, they're not gonna fix the problem. Yeah. And so we have to create this. So whether it's something like completely getting off social media or just controlling how much time we spend on it or being aware when we see things and thinking, huh, just because the post says A, B, C, X, Y, Z doesn't mean I automatically believe it. I do the research. I understand. Um, And again, like for me, some of the, the best things that have helped me deal with social media appropriately and therefore deal with some of my personal relationships through social media is turning off the notifications, just not being so anxious. Well, to to kind of the point you said there about the urgency that they they sell, Mm. um, which also teaches us. And again, this is much deeper than just consumerism. It's much deeper than, say, politics and those sort of divisions. Of course, those are parts of this. But also it treats it trains our brains to think that everything is a sensation. Yeah. Take for existent for example, oh, my brain's doing all kinds of crazy stuff. When I have the headphones in, y'all, <laughs> I, I don't talk as well. But anyways, when when you look at the story we brought up last week, Operation Not Forgotten, and then this week, um, the o- operation that the U.S. Marshals had out. You know, we look at that, and there's a lot of people that are attracted to those stories. They see these children being rescued, and that's a good thing. But there is more to that story than just the sensation of it. Mm-hmm. These are real children who have real lives, they were made in the image of God, they they should be living life to its fullest, and hopefully the evil has not come and corrupted them to cut their lives short. Hopefully they will have a long, full life beyond this. And that's more than just a momentary sensation to kind of move past and say, ah, oh, yes, we got this victory. But social media trains your brain to look at everything as a sensation, whether it be this urgency, I've got to clear it out, or oh, we've got this sensation over here. And we forget the meat and meaning of life and even something like that, which is a story which has so much meaning in it, um, just the simple fact that children are rescued, there's a lot of deeper meaning in that. But it's not just a sensation to get worked up about. There's a reality there. 
And we are, are trapped in the world of sensation and cut off from the world of reality. And that, do you want to be governed by that is basically the whole premise of this because God didn't create us in his image. Now, get it, it's good to have joy. God didn't create us in his image to just be sensational creatures who are shallow all the time and are governed by, you know, emotional dopamine trips. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I, I broke off that sentence. God did create us in his <laughs> image, but not to be petty and small mm-hmm. in that way. Yes. Um, and again, joy, emotions, you know, these hormones, God gave them to us. So, so they, they have an element of them, which is very good. But when things get out of whack, when things in fallen creation get pulled away from where God wants us to be, Bad stuff, bad stuff happens. I think, you know, from everything we were talking about, I think, you know, the psychology element of this is to to not only create that anxiety, but to get us to uh, be focused on on their platform or whatever, regardless of what our interests are, but to keep us connected to that and therefore influenced. And I, I think, yeah. you know, the whole psychology element of it is extremely dangerous road to go down. And as Pastor Amanda was uh, saying earlier, you know, I think we have to exhibit self-discipline yeah. and be aware of what's going on. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a big deal. The sooner we recognize that it's a big deal, the sooner we'll be able to handle it and realize that, even our actual government is largely held hostage by what goes on in social media. If you can get a social media movement behind something, it'll impact what goes on in the halls of Congress more than just like writing a letter to somebody. Like it's yeah, the, the it, social it, media mobs have so much power right now, and that's not a good thing. It's just no. where we're at. Well, and I think also to your point about sensationalism, is it does have lots of power, but it has a lot of quick power. Yeah. And I think if we, I mean, and again, the morality, just as morality has not changed, evil has not changed too much in the hundreds of years, uh, or th- much, much more than hundreds of years. But in all of human existence, we can see even before Internet that a lot of our problems created that we have today were created because of the short sightedness yeah. of the movements before us. And again, like. Let's be honest. We're all thankful for the Revolutionary War. We, you know, we have a democracy now. This is great. But obviously, our forefathers and mothers could not foresee everything that needed to happen. And because of some things they set up, because of some things they didn't fight, we there are challenges and um, problems in our world today that we need to face. And instead of just simply... Um, And again, I don't think like I think it's low hanging fruit when people pick on other people for posting things on social media like I support this group or I, you know, I'm praying for this person. I don't think there's anything wrong with that if you're doing something else with it. Yeah. If you're just doing that, that's a problem. But if you're saying like if you're sharing the story like of last week of all these children being saved, that's great. But also research ways in your own community. And this is something yeah. we've talked about on this program two weeks ago, three weeks ago, where we listed some resources and some companies and organizations here in the Nashville and greater Nashville area that are helping rehabilitate people who have experienced these great tragedies of life. So, yes, it's good if you're using uh, social media as a platform to get information out and to provide communication and community. These are good things. But then connect it to the larger picture of yeah, reality. It, it sounds like what you're saying there is... Social media is a, is created a atmosphere where people can replace real virtue in their life with a kind of online fake virtue and like I did my part I put something yeah. in. And, and again that's not unique to social media we've seen this for hundreds and thousands of years but I think it it's made it so much easier real easy to get it, to it we have to where maybe before you may you had to be in a certain socioeconomic status in order to be this lazy um everyone's a little bit more accessible to the laziness now and so maybe that's changed a little bit i don't know human nature is what human nature is but we've got to then take those extra steps like pastor mike was saying about being disciplined and might have to be a little more active in participating in something bigger and broader in helping change the world and again, I'm not going to pick on on people who put like praying for fill in natural disaster here. I think if that's what you want to do, that's what, what you want to do. I'm not going to pick on that. And also I get annoyed at people who pick on it because, again, it's low hanging fruit. You almost your signal, your virtue signaling the virtue signaling. Yes, so it's, it is. It's a weird endless cycle and, of nonsense. Like, <laughs> honestly, we're not here trying to, to beat up 
the problem is not just beating up on people right. that are trapped up in this. We're we're trying to find the light to get out of this is really what, what And we're it starts about. with mm-hmm. and again it's just like, you know, in AA, the first step is recognizing the problem. Yep. But there's also eleven steps after that. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we have to recognize. We're kinda on step one. We're recognizing there's a problem, but we're not gonna stop there. Yeah, sure. You know, I think it was many years ago or many episodes ago that you did something on uh, social media etiquette. Uh, but, you know, I think this whole thing that we're talking about is there is some type of, uh, uh, you know, I keep going back to the word psychology, but a psyche development that makes uh, people really want to be self-centered. So you get a lot of this stuff. Uh, how many friends have I got? Will you repost this? And it's a whole manipulation thing. But beyond that, it is a more self-centered thing where, you know, they've fallen to this. And, and um I feel like that is a very uh, weird phenomenon that's happened with social media that I've never experienced before in my life anywhere else, where it kind of creates some type of egotistical um, force in their life that they need to be accepted. Yeah, and Mm. it's weird. And I love them all, you know, but it's rare that I will, you know, reply to that in some form or fashion what, mm-hmm. one of the weird things about that is people will post stuff online and then like forget they do it it's like it's a different oh, yeah. consciousness yeah. oh yeah and i i think i and again we we've recognized this i think in our social consciousness as a as a, as a, a human race and we make jokes about it in the sense of like how people act differently like the person that yells at you on your video game chat if you were to meet them in person like you could probably take them like it's a it's a running joke in sitcoms and and dramas on tv and yet even though we recognize it we don't actually know how to change our behavior yeah and we don't actually change the way like it's just so easy to share that story that hmm, probably isn't 100 percent true it's just so easy to click that share button because it did release some kind of endorphin or maybe Maybe it made us angry and we like the way we feel when we're angry and so we just do it and then we're like well wait was that smart? Yeah, and and yeah, it 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 is like you have another consciousness with mm. doing that. But you know, and I, and I also feel like you know that it's a platform, a pulpit. So as the Christian people, we are called to share good news and not just rant and rave all the time. And mm. uh, but to to actually try to find good news, like we have in the, the story before this. But I think there's even good news here is for us to acknowledge the things that are happening to us and realize that if we can apply some self disciplines in our own life that we can find uh, that it doesn't go too far. Yeah, and what a great segue. You're talking about good news. We're, we're going to get some bad news. And, y'all, I'm not going to lie. When I was putting this together, I was really mad. Mm. I was mad today. Um, scripture tells us that God is slow to anger, not that he doesn't get angry. And that's the principle that is given to people. Like, there, there is a time to have some righteous indignation. Um, but we have to be slow and patient. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is what it is. We don't get to choose that for ourselves. So we've got some bad news to talk about. But these should be things that we're praying about um, mm-hmm. sincerely because these are real-world things. They're not just sensations to sensationalize, but this is some real stuff going on in the world. So I've got a few things that I want us to go through quickly, not just because they only deserve a few moments, but because, um, well, we, we only have so much time here on this program. But So we've got some bad news coming out of China. So we obviously know that Christian persecution has been going on in China. President Xi has made it one of his top three things to eradicate the gospel of, of Christ Jesus from communist China. Um, well, this summer, um, like many places around the world, they have summer camps and things for kids. Well, there was a summer camp going on there at a church that they were doing, and they had music lessons. They had a lot of really wonderful things going on, um, a bit of like a VBS that we would have here in the U.S., but with some more... Educational. It was more lumped in with an actual elementary school than it was just the the VBS elements. Um, truly doing God's work, raising up children. But the communist government they sent in some people to record and really some spies to get some information on this church. And then they went in there, started arresting people, including mm-hmm. the pastor's wife, and really shut this stuff down. The pastor himself was not there when this they made these arrests. So be in prayer for this situation. And another one from China, you know. We talked a while ago that China had required that if you're a church, which they don't allow house churches, they only allow people there that are part of the three self church. But even if you were part of the three self church, you have to have their edited Bible and you had to remove all images of of Jesus. You had to remove all crosses and replace them with pictures of President Xi and have CCTV footage in this. So closed um, 
or on the, the closed circuit television there, CCTV. And the churches that wouldn't comply with this, they were taking him away, you know, shutting the churches down. Well, just in this year, they've removed over 900 church crosses on the first half of the year. These are mm. from just defacing churches out in broad daylight. And, you know, that that is such a huge tragedy. Um, but contrasting that with some good news that are still things that need prayer request, um, we have a, a Pakistani girl. And I, I want us now to move to some things that we need to pray about. And these are, one of them is a good situation partly good, as, as good as we could kind of hope in a terrible situation. The other is rather poor. But I want to ask us, those here in America, to pray for two young Christian ladies. One of them's name is Anika, and the other is Myra. Now, Myra, she is a 14-year-old Christian girl in Pakistan, and she was ordered by court to return to the Muslim man who had abducted her and forced her into marriage. Now, what happened is she got kidnapped, she was forced into a marriage as a 14-year-old girl, um, and she ended up somehow, the man and her ended up in court, and of course she was trying to say, you know, I don't want to be married to this man, but the court ruled, no, the marriage is legitimate. Even though he can abducted you, you should go home and, and stay with him. Um, and also that she had to convert to Imlam is what the court ruled, but she successfully escaped from this man, and she's hiding somewhere in in Pakistan. So pray for this young girl, Myra. This this is a terrible, terrible thing. This is what young Christian girls and young ladies go through. And this is not, God did not create us in his image to live through such things, but this is what fallen creation has brought for us. So pray for this girl, Myra. And you can check out more about her story at the Christian Post. And another young Pakistani girl, um, this story is unfortunately not as good. Her name is Anika. Now, Anika, she's an 18-year-old Christian, and she was a servant to an employer there in Pakistan. And when they found out she was a Christian, they, they beat her for her Christian faith, and they demanded that she convert to Islam. She said, I will not, and so she wanted to terminate her employment. And they decided to bring accusations against her that she had been stealing from them and some really ludicrous charges that she had done things with really just criminal things against the family, whether it be stealing and stuff of that nature. Um and what's interesting is there's actually evidence that it's not possible. She'd never even been in one of these properties and stuff like that. But mm. this is just evil, trying to punish somebody for their faith because they wouldn't convert. And, of course, torturing her in a terrible, terrible situation. But uh, may God be with her and her family. So, And her name is Anika. So we've got these two, two young ladies, um, 14 and 18-year-old in Pakistan, going through some serious stuff. They deserve their names to be heard and for our prayer here in the, the West where we're at. So I'll let Amanda and Mike respond to these sort of stories if y'all would like to, and then we'll go on to our Bible study. I think this tells us that um, we, we have an awesome responsibility, uh, definitely at the very least to be praying for the, the, these situations, uh, but also for us to understand the liberty and the freedoms that we have and how we can use them. And how we can demand justice. Again, not demand justice in the sense of like hoping that at some point the UN will step in because or the US government or whoever, whatever agency we're hoping is going to step in. Because again, there's already laws on the books that says what they're doing is highly illegal and, and immoral. But as individuals, as communities, as faith communities, that we can step in and support groups and organizations that go in uh, that provide specifically these situations where we're dealing with uh, women who don't have rights in their country or don't have really equal rights or equal opportunity uh, to provide uh, safety for themselves. Um, there are organizations that are working towards that. And yeah. even... Um, Organizations within their country that are, are natural organizations, like they're not an outside country coming in, but even with, there are Pakistani people, there are people in China, uh, citizens that are working for the for better freedoms and, and, and um, equality or equity. And, and so we've got to be aware of these situations, even though they're thousands of miles apart and it doesn't seem like we can directly do anything. Obviously, we can pray and that is directly helping. Um, and even indirectly is supporting organizations and groups that can help uh, provide safety for these people. And, and, and it just, it frustrates me because my natural reaction, and again, I can't do this, but like, 
in a little bit in our fun section we're going to talk about we want superheroes to come you know we want batman or captain america or superman to just fly in punch the bad guy and fly out and that again that's sensationalism that's not going to change the narrative that's not going to change these people's lives there's long-term help long-term change that needs to happen and also if superman can go in and punch them that are the bad guys that would be the added bonus but we need to look into ways that we can long-term help them and i think that is by finding uh, organizations and communities um, and even in creative access countries where we don't have a lot of information, uh, your church community is not restricted uh, by time or space, so it cannot be restricted by the government. That's really low on the, the, the villain list. And so there, your, your church is present. And again, when I say church, I mean Big C Church, the church universal, is yeah. present in these places. Um, and there are ways that we can connect and help them. Yeah. Um, if Pastor Mike... As we wrap up this segment, would you pray for these situations? Would you mind praying over them? Absolutely. You know, I'd just like to say this, too, that we live in a world of depravity. And the good news is that, as Pastor Amanda said, the church is there, but God is there. And God uh, is perfect justice. And we we pray that it comes quickly and soon that that this world is transformed. Let us pray. Almighty God, we do. We thank you so much for uh, the perfect justice, perfect truth, perfect love that comes from you. And so, dear Lord, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, which we know is not for abuse and suffering to take place in this uh, places such as China and um, uh, over here in, in Pakistan. So, Lord, we lift them up to you, These uh, the pastor's wife who was arrested uh, uh, is trying to teach and help the children have a better life. Lord, we just pray for your uh, presence to be felt there and give uh, the, the church that is there, those leaders, the wisdom to help uh, minister in that place. And so, Lord, we pray for Myra. And Lord, as she is in hiding, we just pray that you continue to watch over and protect her as well as Anika. Uh, Lord, in the, in the midst of chaos and uh, the enemy there to steal, kill, and destroy, we pray for, Lord, uh, that you bring order and life and life abundantly. Help us here, Lord, in, in the West to realize that uh, depravity in so many areas uh, in this world is just, uh, uh, it, it, is, it is tremendous. So we pray again, Lord, for your spirit to come and, and transform uh, each and every individual in this world. Help us, Lord. We know there'll be some that choose to, to, to remain in evil, but there will be those who do... Um, just receive your grace and mercy and receive transformation. So help us to be people of courage. And we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And Romans chapter 12, verse 19, reminds us to leave room for the wrath of God. And again, that doesn't mean be idle, but it does remind us. It says, leave room for God's wrath because it is written. Vengeance mm -hmm. is mine and I will repay. Thus says the Lord. You know, there's some comfort in that. Yeah. There's some comfort in that. All right, so we'll be back here in a moment to do a Bible study, and then we'll eventually be getting to a little bit more lighthearted segment. So thank you for spending time with us today. And as we're coming back together, I'm going to hand things over to Pastor Mike, who's going to lead us in a Bible study. Well, uh, today we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 4, verses 10 through 19. Uh, and, of course, we're using the NRSV. But the, the, the title above that, which is really not a part of the Bible, but is part of what's been uh, added in there, the, is uh, the subtitles, Admonition to Keep to the Right Path. And so as everything we've heard here before, there are two paths that we can choose. And so let us hear this uh, scripture. Uh, it, I began at verse 10, be attentive of chapter 4, Psalms, I mean Proverbs. Hear my child and accept my words, that the years of our life, that of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in paths of righteousness. When you walk, you step, your step will not be hampered. And if you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction and do not let go. 
guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked, and do not walk in the way of evildoers. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on, for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble, for they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness, and they do not know what they stumble over. And this is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks, thanks be, be to God. To God. Uh, you know, I want to throw this out there. The Didache, which is one of our earliest writings outside of what we consider the canon, um, is, is instructions, and it tells us that there are two paths. And we know just from the previous segments here that there are powerful influences trying to sway us to go down the path of destruction. And so I've got a couple of questions I'd like to ask uh, Pastor Dylan, Pastor Amanda. Do you believe, either one of you, we'll, we'll start with Dylan, is there a rise in the power of evil influences beyond anything you've ever seen in your lifetime? Yes. Yeah. And to quote C.S. Lewis, when... In the book, The Paralandra, and I, I mean, I've been quoting this book for, for weeks and for a reason, a because I, I have had that experience in my own life. Up to this point, I had only ever witnessed half-hearted evil, but this creature was wholehearted. Hmm. Wholehearted evil is different from half-hearted evil. Half-hearted evil, it's misunderstood, you know, it was circumstantially bad, stuff like that. Wholehearted evil, and when you couple wholehearted evil with a sinful nature, which we all are born with, you get wicked, wicked stuff. Sinister grins. Sin well, it's not. It doesn't even look sinister, though. That's how he describes it. He says, you know, the smile of wholehearted evil. It doesn't bother with looking sinister. It doesn't bother with mocking mm -hmm. you. It doesn't bother with defying truth. In, in fact, it ignores truth. It comes to you with this smile that is welcoming, and it's strikingly similar to innocence. You know, it reminds me there of. Uh, you look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter six, twenty-three, where he says, you know, if your eye is bad, and you've got darkness in you. But you think it's light. If the light in you is actually darkness, how great then is that darkness? And that warning to, says that if that smile of evil has tricked you, you've been deceived by wholehearted evil. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Amanda, I'll let you take Well, I, I would take a little issue with this language of a rise in power in the sense of I don't think we were talking about earlier um, – that maybe we deserve a better a better villain other than Google and Twitter and Facebook. Um, and in that discussion, we talked about how it always seems to change and morph. And just when we quite think we figured it out, just when the news report comes out and says there's a trial or somebody's under investigation, we think it's done. And then it, it's kind of reconfigured itself a little bit so it can manipulate us again. So I'm not sure I would say there's been a rise in evil because I, I think evil's been fairly consistent in its evilness throughout uh, time and space. But maybe there's been a rise in how quickly it can change. Because evil no looks like e evil no longer looks like Nero burning down Rome. Yeah. It um it evil looks like uh like you said, it can look good. And 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 it so warps us so this is the almost the consequence of this that even when good things truly honestly good things happen our first reaction is not to say, oh, that's good. Our first reaction is to say, is that evil? And, and it, it warps us so badly. We play this weird mind game, even within ourselves, where we can't even do the good things in our lives because we're so caught up in this mind game that we don't just simply act. Yeah. It, it, it's just, and again, evil's always kind of done that. We have, you know, Lucifer comes as an angel of light. Um, we have Jesus being called Beelzebub. So, like, this has been happening for thousands upon thousands of years. But I think there has been a rise in evil just being able, because maybe technology has changed, because the world's a little bit more connected, it can grow and change faster to where before, where it may take generations of change for change to happen in decades, in half a decade, in a year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, evil can, can rise and become something different. Yeah. 
Well, we're certainly demoralized as a people, and it's it's tragic. Pastor Mike, I'll hand things back to you. You know, I think it, also in the darkness there, it, it just seems like for for me when I read this, of course, I'm older than both of you, so in my lifetime I reach back quite a bit further. I agree with you, Pastor Mindy, and that I think that the, the power has always been there, but right now it seems like the evidence is so blatantly out there that there truly are people, I believe, that are losing sleep if they are not doing some type of harm to people, mm. which I think this is something that I'm experiencing in my lifetime, uh, which goes back to you know the 60s, 70s, and, and 80s, that, that seems to be people, that there seems to be an element in the world uh, just not that it wasn't always there, but maybe it's like uh, Pastor Dylan said with social media and everything. Maybe the the news of it being able to get out is different, but uh, there definitely is, uh, you know, some some influence and some evil that is very very much a part of the the world we live in, and depravity is just uh, going rampant. All right, so uh, another another thought here. So we talked about the two paths. And God, uh, in the in Proverbs, there we're been asked to go down the path of righteousness as opposed to the path of wickedness. And so, talking about my age a little bit here, Robert Plant um, is from uh, is lead singer of Led Zeppelin, and in the song "Stairway to Heaven," he states there are uh, two paths you can go by, but in the long run, uh, you can always change the road you're on. Now. Um, I don't know that we should be getting our theology from Robert Plant, but nonetheless, the question is: Is this a great song but bad theology? And uh, and but I think that a lot of people hear that and they think, well, you know, there's no urgency mm. to follow. I think there's something we need to look at that song and that because I think a lot of people are that way. What yeah. do you think, Pastor Dylan? Well, you know. There's a stairway to heaven, but highway to hell. So what does that say about the anticipated traffic? You know, I don't know who first said that joke about the stuff. Um, you know, is this a great song, but bad theology? The, even the, and man, this is where the pitchforks are. Even the degenerate reprobates know a little <laughs> bit about God, um, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. And this is really where you get like the half-hearted evil. Like, yeah, it it kind of wants to mock God a little bit. It, it may not be serious in its theological course. Maybe it doesn't want to mock God, but it's just not super serious. Mm-hmm. I, I think you can look at something like this and say there is, it's possible for an element of truth to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it may not be the best theology, but but there is an element of, of reality deep within our psyche that remembers somewhere there is the way of life, there is the way of death. And, you know, it, it's interesting how that plays out across time. I haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about Stairway to, to Heaven. That's a little bit before me, though. Of course, it's, it is sort of a transcendentally popular song, though, for better or for worse. I, I, I've Isn't not chosen it. Is it about drugs or sex? Like, I mean, most 80s rock songs, so I'm not I'm trying to, like, the Stairway to Heaven was not too Yeah, you're going to have to reach back to the <laughs> 70s there for oh, that 70s, one. But, okay. But, you know, I, I think there is a statement beyond the song that, that points to a lot of people's theology that, they want to do good, but they're caught up in a place where they feel like it's not just time yet. Oh, yeah. I'm not yeah, ready. Bad, and, bad, yeah. And, yeah. bad theology there. That's theology. But, you know, I think for, for the, the truth in the song is no matter where you're at, there's you go ahead and change. Yeah. yeah. That's the good news. So yeah. um, I, I don't know. But Well, it, I think we have to differentiate between God's unfailing grace and cheap grace. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing. Like, without a doubt, we believe no matter where you, you are, where you've been, God's grace can find you. Um, so, like, that's no matter how far down the path of wickedness you are, you can always get onto the path of righteousness. We also, on the flip side, believe, uh, as Wesley and Arminians, that no matter how far down the path of righteousness you are, you can get off. Um, <laughs> right. So, so the, we have to hold that, though, in tension with the fact that I don't think if you live your life however you want to live it, and then at the last moment, which when do you know that last moment is? But let's pretend you do, and you're like, oh, God, by the way, I'm in my last moment of my life. Just forgive me for everything I did. 
like Dylan was saying, God judges us. God knows our heart. There is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. So God's not going to be fooled and be like, oh, you said the magic words. You get to go in heaven. Like, that's not how this works. Now, again, that doesn't negate deathbed repentance. Um, I think, again, God is a just and loving God and God can make only God can make that decision. Thank God. <laughs> but at the same time, um, our, we can't fool um, that. And so we can't just say at the last minute, oh, I'm going to jump across onto the path of righteousness and bam, everything's going to be okay. That's not how it works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, and I don't know again what Led Zeppelin was going, or I'm sorry, Robert Plant was going for in that song. Yeah. Cause he did the lyrics. Okay. So yeah, yeah I, think, I, I, I think Robert, uh, Jimmy Page did the, the, and, um, did the music, music. <laughs> and well, to the, to the theological point that Amanda said, you know, on, on deathbed repentance and things of that nature. As, as far as we can find from Scripture, and again, God is the judge of living the dead, and we don't, we don't make those decisions for God, but it does seem to indicate to us that if God judges us by anything, it is our motivations of whom we serve. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that there aren't certain things that you have to accept and go along with. We're not universalist or anything like that. But there is this idea that says you, you may not have the fine intricacies of doctrine worked out, and you find this throughout Scripture, and, and even in the New Testament. But are you actually motivated to love and serve God? Um, and you may, you may have your intentions, you may have your plans, you may have the stuff you think you have worked out. But whom are you motivated to serve? And that's that's something which is very important. Well, you know, I think there's an element too in in the lyrics there that there's a lack of urgency, and mm-hmm. we must be a people of urgency and understand we don't know when our last breath is going to be. Dietrich Bonhoeffer made the statement: "It is." It is worse to be evil than to do evil. I just want to hear from both of you all, because we're talking about going down the pathway of the wicked and pathway of the righteous. Is there a certain moment when you go down these pathways that 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 if someone does evil long enough that they literally become evil? Well, one of the things that disturbs me, and I've been preaching Revelation 13, well, Revelation really 11 for it. And in the last few nights, we've been looking at Revelation 13 on Wednesday nights. And one of the things which disturbs me is in that snippet of time when the the beast, the first beast has its 42 months and the second beast comes, in that period of time, there is no antidote given to us in Scripture of beast worship. When people are fully given over to worship the, the beast, it shows us nobody that repents from that. And in fact, the only solution we have is, is not an antidote, but an alternative. Those who in the beginning of this period, they had their names recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. They did not succumb to the insanity of beast worship. Right. It doesn't say that they're even spared on this earth. It says the beast conquers and kills them. Yeah. Suffering. The, the great suffering. But there is insanity in this wholehearted evil that people worship. And it's got its whole dark religion. But people are fully given away to that. And scripture does not show us in that period of time a group of people who in mass, they say, oh, yeah, well, I guess the beast is not really the beast anymore, so we're going to go worship God. It doesn't show us that. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that also disturbs me about Scripture is the very concept of the unforgivable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. This whole notion of declaring that absolute good is evil and mm-hmm. evil is absolutely good. And when I, when I see that and I read these things, it disturbs me. And I'm grateful that I'm not the judge of the living and the dead. And it, it kind of causes you to be in check and not make sure you're not confusing good and evil. But but it does disturb me to see that Scripture warns of their, there are moments, there are times, there are people who have been so far gone that they're out there worshiping the beast and they, they just don't care. Hmm. They, they don't have any remorse, any regret, nothing. Just out there happily worshiping the beast. And yeah. I think that's something that, we, when Bonhoeffer said that in his own personal struggle with how to respond to great evil and, and, and again, wholehearted evil, um, the evils that were happening in Nazi Germany were definitely not half, um, half-hearted. And his struggle with how to appropriately respond to that. At no point do we get to take that as an excuse for us to do whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And so Bonhoeffer's language of to do evil is better than to be evil was not then to say, all right, Christians, go out and murder and steal and do whatever you want. His intention was to say, we live in a very dark world, and sometimes we will be pushed beyond beyond our bounds of doctrine. The things we thought we were holding so tight to that we just knew was what we needed to do, uh, sometimes we'll be pushed beyond that. And we have to 
like Pastor Dylan has been saying, have eyes to see, not our eyes, God's eyes, ears to hear. Again, not our ears, God's ears. And then we have to have the holy courage to freaking do something. Yeah. And that's what Bonhoeffer was saying. And that's what we have to hear out of this conversation. It's not about trying to find some gray area or trying to get away with something we want to do. It's about doing what's right. And sometimes what's doing right, listen, they crucified Jesus and he was perfect. So if they crucify Jesus, guess what's happening to all of us? Yeah. It's not good. So life will be difficult. There will be suffering. There will be pain and there will be hard decisions we will have to make. But we still do it because we know that that is where God is leading us to do. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, yeah, that's that. Well, and, uh, you know, I, I think to, to segue into the next uh, question was I, I do believe that if you do evil long enough, you become evil. But the flip side of that, if you do righteousness and continue to strive to do those things you were talking about, to have the eyes of Christ, the ears of Christ, um, to be able to see and hear as Christ would have you. I believe you become, in that sense, the righteousness of Christ. Mm. Uh, and so with that, this, this is the question. What are the greatest tools in the church to stay on the right path? I want one tool from each one of you, and we'll move on rather quickly. What, what do you think the greatest tool in the church is to help us stay on that path of righteousness. Uh, I'm going to go with orthodoxy, obviously, but an actual tool uh, that is something we can do is prayer. Prayer. Good. Um, and I'm going to say the Holy Scriptures. You know, Reading the what scriptures. you were saying earlier, which you find like your self-help and stuff that be like, oh, if you think positive, you'll become... No, Holy Scriptures tell you. You know, John writes to his people in his epistle saying, you know, don't be imitators of evil. Don't be imitators of darkness. And he kind of calls out some people in his own congregation and says, you don't, you don't want to be like that. Imitate the light. Imitate the light. Imitate good. Imitate Christ Jesus himself. You know, that logic is taught to us by John. And, you know, absolutely. You, you read through the epistles of John, all three of them, there is this battle between light and darkness. Those who say one thing, they mean something else. There is Christ. There is the Antichrist. And there are people who want to imitate the darkness. And then there are people who want to be children of light. And what joy it is to walk in the truth, to see your your children, to see your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ walk in the truth. And that's good. And I'm going to give my my uh, tool. <laughs> and we, so we've all got three tools there. But I believe the participation in the sacraments mm-hmm. uh, is, is a very good one as well. All right. I'm going to pass it on. I think we've, <laughs> we've spent a little time there anyway. All right. Well, here's the thing. We were going to wrap up our program today talking about what – Heroic figures we would like to see brought into reality. Um, but we're at our time. Okay. Our, our program is an hour long. So <laughs> what we're going to do next week in our A segment is we're going to be talking about, we'll, we'll do some news coverage and things of that nature, talk about some things which the church should be concerned with. But we're going to try to have our bulk conversation in that, like today we talked about Google, about what heroic figures we would like to see in their modern day and age. And again, this is more of a mental exercise. Of course, Christ Jesus himself is the ultimate savior. But we do have a world right now where villains, they are real. If you ever were curious about Bond villains being real or super villains with a theme, they're all real. They they are real. But we don't see as many people being aspirational and heroic in our day and age. You look throughout scripture, God calls men and women to step up to the plate and be aspirational, heroic figures. Um, we're going to look to some of the, the characters in pop culture next week and kind of ask the question of who we would like to see come to life and why. So we'll be doing that as we wrap up, um, or as we introduce next week, but as we wrap up now. Any final thoughts, anything you saw this week that is kind of interesting, that kind of changed your perspective on stuff? Uh, not not a serious thing, but just to close, uh, close on a funny note, I, I've realized uh, – uh, not just church signs, but even business signs, improperly constructed signs really bug me. Like, irrational, like you, people have irrational fears. I have an irrational anger over signs that aren't constructed properly. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just like, like, especially the digital ones where they don't have, like, they have, like, a sentence plus a word and then it has to flip over and finish the rest of the sentence. You can't read it while you're driving. I don't know why. And, like, even the... Uh, uh, T dot has signs as you drive, and they're like, "Careful, don't get distracted." And you're like, Do, "Does anyone get the irony of this? Like, what are we doing?" And I just, I don't know. I don't know why I bring that up, other than last thought, something I've been thinking on the last few days, and just being is, irrationally angry over. <laughs> Mike, well, 
I don't know if I can top that or not, but I, <laughs> oh, I've had just great joy in finding uh, some normality coming back to life. Uh, football games are, are taking place mm, at the local high school football um, team, and uh, also some of our, our younger folks are doing some uh, some uh, sports and activities. So I'm glad to see some some of this coming back into their life because they need it, and I'm actually going to be able to make one of those games maybe. So um, praise God. And my final thought for today is, the 1960s Batman TV show, a lot of people give it a hard time, but it's actually really good. If you watch it, envisioning it as a colorful comic book, mm. not so much being dark Batman, but they actually tried to shoot it in such a way that looked like a comic book. It actually looks a lot like a comic book, the way the camera angles and stuff are. So go back and check out the original um, Batman. You can watch it for free on things like the Roku channel if you've got a Roku. Um, it's actually a lot better than I remembered it being. It's totally different than modern versions of Batman, but it, it is really good. Um that being said, Batman is not the character I'd like to see come to life next week. So mm. we'll, we'll leave that there. There's your little teaser. We're not going to be just talking about Batman next week. I don't know if we'll talk about Batman at all. We'll see. Depends on what they bring up. <laughs> on that note, we thank you for spending time with us here today. And God love you. And have a blessed day.